Hello, Long Beach. Welcome to Artist Banter, a podcast focusing on arts and entertainment in Long Beach, brought to you by the Daily 49ers staff. My name is Aziza Gomez, and I will be your host today. Well, we have made it to the end of the season in the semester. I've had so much fun with this project and during my time here at CSEOB. Like many of you, I have grown so much here through the help of the resources and educators on campus, and it is something that I will cherish for the rest of my life. Before continuing on with the episode, I wanted to share some lessons that I have learned in my time here that I will take with me after graduation. All right, lesson one, you do not have to chase anything. You will eventually attract the opportunities you deserve and what belongs to you will find you. The way we view, think, and feel about our own future can have a bigger effect on our outward existence than we think. So don't live in fear of failure or in fear of missing out on an opportunity because you will always attract what is meant for you. You are exactly where you are supposed to be. Number two, find circles and institutions where you will be celebrated, not tolerated. If you have ever been put in a situation where you felt overlooked or underappreciated, you are not alone. Many of us have ended up in relationships or programs where we feel like we are being tolerated and it feels like we will never be celebrated for our work. I encourage all of us to stay authentic and proud to be ourselves. Carry on being yourself and don't worry because the right people will find you along the way. Well. These are some of the biggest lessons I've learned in life so far, and I hope hearing them can help the graduating class of 2022. If you would like to continue hearing from me after the season, you can follow me on Instagram at ReadySetGomez22. Now on to the interview. For today's Artist Banter grad issue episode, I asked someone who I consider a very accomplished CSULB alum to share their experience and advice for life post-graduation. Andrew Bello is an American music producer, songwriter, film composer, and saxophonist. He found his passion for music at a young age when he started playing piano and saxophone at seven years old and began composing classical and jazz scores when he was in high school. Andrew is also a distinguished alum of the Bob Cole Conservatory, where he got his bachelor's degree in jazz studies and composition. Hi, Andrew. Thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Very cool to be here with you. Of course. I've been looking forward to this one. <laughs> Me too. I'm glad, we got it. I'm glad we got it dialed in and set up. Yes. Okay. So my first question. Um, so I've heard your story on other occasions, but for the people who are just discovering you, would you like to give us some more backstory on your college experience and your path to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started at uh, Cal State Long Beach uh, quite some time ago as a, uh, a performance major. Uh, went in there as a saxophone performance major and then um, made the switch to jazz studies after my junior recital, which was all classical. Um, picked up a composition minor along the way. And, um, you know, the goal was always to perform. Um, the, that was the goal, like write your own music, graduate, go on tour. Uh, produce records. The longer I was in the program, the more I, you know, realized like, hey, it's also good to have, you know, other skill sets within music, just because if you are striving to be the next, I'll just throw out some buzz names, Brantford Marsalis or Chris Potter, um, other saxophonists like that. I mean, it's, you have to play at an incredibly high level um, and you have to really be willing to go through the process of spending years and years on the road, uh, building your brand, um, <clears throat> touring extensively, 
producing records, getting those out there, promoting them, you know, trying to get signed to a jazz label and, and you really have to commit to the process um, for a very long time before, for most people, right. Um, <clears throat> to really start seeing some, you know, financial success. So I realized that's always something I'm going to pursue. Um, but I'm going to keep my avenues open with, with, you know, whatever possibilities kind of come my way within the space of music, uh, you know, because eventually you need to start making money to, <laughs> to pay for stuff, right? right. Like life is expensive. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I always had my mind open, um, while I was there and, uh, graduated and was just freelancing around town, um, kind of doing anything and everything, um, had a couple uh, you know, successes, um, or had an opportunity to sub in the horn section for a Jay-Z concert. Um, that was really what opened, you know, I, I think the first big door that actually led to other opportunities. Um, I guess while we're on the topic of, of other opportunities, I think, you know, for anyone, um, that is on the verge of graduating, I think it's really sometimes can be easy to be extremely selective with the work that you take, maybe because it might not A, be exactly musically fulfilling or B, maybe not compensate you as much as you think you'd like to be compensated or C, you know, maybe compensate you well, but, you know, maybe not feel like it's going to amount to anything else. Kind of being able to evaluate like, hey, you know, this this could lead to something else. You never know who else is going to be on the gig. You never know what door that one thing is going to open or where that's going to take you, I think is a good uh, mindset to have because a lot of kind of the one-off gigs that I thought wouldn't really amount to anything else actually did later on in life actually amounting to, to, to something that was totally unforeseen. Um, so anyway, that, that Jay-Z, um, you know, subbing in the horn section, I mean, that was an incredible opportunity, but that amounted to so much more than just being, you know, a one-time subbing in the horn section gig. Um, did that, had an opportunity to audition for the band Sublime with Rome which is the original Sublime with a new lead singer. And that really, um, you know, took me all over the world, been to 37 countries, met a lot of incredible people. Um, you know, we did double bills with Blink-182, met Travis Barker, um, have a great connection with him now where we're co-producing some music um, and just a ton of other people. So yeah, one, one thing just kind of led to the next and kind of led to the next and I guess that's kind of how I got to where I am today. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So one fear that I've heard come up when discussing life after graduation is losing focus or derailing. How did you stay focused after college? And even now you have so many hats within the industry. How do you distribute what you prioritize? It's a very good question. So I feel like uh, specifically within music, I've always been very self-motivated. Like the responsibility of my parents, like, you know, they're very clear, like, hey, if you want to pursue music, like, go for it, but you're on your own. It's almost kind of like instilling the fear in God, like, okay, hey, man, don't screw up because, <laughs> you know, there's no one really here to have your back. So um, fear of <laughs> becoming stagnant or, or not, you know, continuing to move forward is always, I think, a good motivator. But but I also think, like, it is very common to get burned out. And I, I kind of do feel that way now about a lot of things. I feel like you could, I call them like life audits, like like an audit of your life uh, at the end of the week or on the weekend. Set aside like a half an hour, like really appropriate half an hour once a week where you're alone and you could just think. Like you could really just sit and, and be undistracted and really think and go back and evaluate your week, um, see where you spent your time. I think having something to always try to strive for and to try to achieve, I think is good because it, it almost holds you accountable. 
I think I think that's good, you know, just outside of music too, like to just hold yourself accountable to, to whatever people's goals are. So I think for me, like I realized, okay, so I get out of school, like, so there's no more private lessons. So there's really not, you know, a professor barking at me to, to you know, get done every week. Um, you know, there's no more assignments, right? It's really just like, all right, like start, start your career, start making money in music. I'd already said, okay, no matter what, I'm going to practice, you know, from this time to this time every day for composers, you know, I'm going to score, study and write, you know, whatever field you're in, isolate something that you need to, that you feel like you can improve on and really give yourself homework assignments. I think self-motivation is really important because so much of the motivation I feel that comes from the conservatory is no longer there, right? So you could be motivated by other, some of your other peers who might be playing better than you or writing better than you, or even if you're one of the better players there, you know, you have a professor sort of motivating you. Um, you have juries or recitals to prepare for. Everything is kind of laid out and, and the, the stairway in which you need to climb is right in front of you and you can see it. When you graduate, that all kind of leaves. So I think you know, staying consistent, if, you know, if you could afford private lessons, even if it's only twice a month or once a month, um, setting those like little markers along the path to strive for, I think is important and getting that set up as soon as possible. So, so that way you don't kind of, okay, well, I'm going to go on, you know, a vacation this summer and I'm kind of going to, you know, party and unwind after my degree, which not saying that that's bad or anything, but, but kind of, Hey, okay, so come, you know, we graduate in May, you know, June and July, maybe, and come August, this is really what I'm shooting for. If, if graduate school is not in the cards, or if, you know, a, a DMA is not in the cards, um, I think really just setting up small goals and big-term goals are great. Small goals, something you want to achieve on a weekly basis, larger goals, maybe a, a quarterly basis, so four times a year, once every three months. And then when you have that life audit, right, an evaluation, you know, you go back and you're honest with yourself. Okay, where did I, what did I do good this week? This week, I, I, I was consistent with my practicing and I'm sounding good, but maybe I dropped the ball on this area. Or, you know, I, I did great with networking and reaching out to people, but I didn't really keep up with my practicing. I think the more you could really, people could get into holding themselves accountable um, because there is no one there really policing you. Uh, you really like at the end of the day, you know, the older you get, the more you realize like it's it's really you against the world, not against the world, but it's you. Uh, right. It's you out and about, you know, go, going right. through life. Um, yeah, that's a great so, point. Yeah. So so weekly, I still do it. I mean, just setting the time aside every week to think and reflect, and then and then strategize. Okay, now how am I going to keep going? I think is good. Yeah, it's, it's a good way to keep focused. Like, I think that's one of my things right now. It's like, I don't have someone that's going to check in on me every week. Like, right. Oh, did you right. practice, you know? And totally. it's, with music, like, everyone's going to hear if you practiced or not, you know? 100%. <laughs> such a reflective thing. I, I think, too, like, as we get older, you know, you, you begin to kind of, not deliberately, but you lose touch with a lot of people that you go to school with. Just because life happens, everyone gets busier and everyone's time becomes less and less. Um, there's less time available essentially to, to be able to, you know, do as much stuff as you'd like to do. So I think, you know, if you are in the, the college university system now, you know, you, you have peers and you have friends that are trying to strive to achieve the same thing. So almost having like a, maybe an accountability partner, you know, someone who you, you talk to and, and you play for that person and that person plays for you or you share compositions they share with you just someone who you, who you could kind of 
you know, like maybe if you're not motivated, maybe you could lean on someone to help you motivate you or vice versa. Um, I think it's good to have a, a strong community of people. Yeah, that's so true. You can't, if you can't do it alone, it's fine. Cause you, you need a support system, you know? You do. I, th- I think it's very important. Yep. As mm-hmm. someone who wants to get more into composition, I would be curious to know what your first compositions were like. So like when you were in high school, what were you writing? Mm-hmm. And also if you can share any methods to keep things fun while conditioning your skills. Well, I wasn't writing anything much impressive in high school. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Appro- I mean, approach wise, if you're just getting your feet wet with writing, um, I think the first step would just be an arrangement, right? So take anything technical. It could be an arrangement in three-part harmony for happy birthday. Mm. Um, something simple, you know, like if you really just want to start down that path, you have to take on the responsibility of starting something, right? So um, yeah, I think my first, actually, I think my first arrangement was an arrangement of either happy birthday or a, um, like a Beach Boys song. Um, Love the Beach Boys. Yeah, me too. <laughs> awesome. Arrangement is a good way to start, you know, so identify the key center, identify the, the chord progressions so you know what types of harmony you're going to potentially be um, implementing while you write. And then, you know, identify the ensemble. You know, it, it doesn't even need to be an ensemble. It could just be two melodies on top of one another and seeing how they harmonize together. Just taking that first step, I think, is important. Like with anything, I mean, you know, if, I don't really think there's one person who's ever learned how to ride a bike without falling once. At some point, just have to say, hey, I'm going to get on the bike and, and, and just try. And you have training wheels. So the training wheels could be, we're just going to do a very simple arrangement. And we're only going to do two-part harmony. And then, you know, gradually you become more comfortable with that. And then you start three-part harmony. And then maybe you have a counter melodic motif working against the main melody so or working with it yeah that, that, that's the process of how i got started baby steps you know yeah um and the sec- sorry the second part of the question was oh yeah so how do you make how do you keep like songwriting or like score analysis how do you keep that interesting for yourself like because you've been doing this for a while now so you right. enjoy it and also i guess like how much of your practicing is actually like enjoyable for you <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, everyone has those days where like, you know, you don't, you don't want to practice, but you know that you have to because it's just, it just comes with the territory, right? Yeah. Um, for me now, being able to practice my instrument is, is more of a pleasure than a, a task because I, I don't get to do it as often as I'd like. Um, I'm mostly producing and, and scoring now, but, um, but, you know, pretending like I'm, I'm tired of practicing, I think because there were points where I just didn't want to do it. Just bite the bullet and, and be willing to make sacrifices, I think, to, to not only do well in music, but anything in life. And I think you just have to say, like, you know, if it's something I'm not really maybe looking forward to, just get it done with in the morning. I mean, honestly, just it, it sounds like I sound like a parent right now, but <laughs> it, just set the alarm, get up and, and try to get it done, you know, and, and get through it. Um, the front load in the day, just yeah. do all the heavy stuff first. Do the heavy stuff first. And if, if, you know, you want to break apart your practice routine, you could do that. Um, but I think too, like no one's going to do it for you, you know, like success and achievement within the space of music it really comes from self-motivation. Um, I think for me to be able to stay motivated, like just, just try to implement something into your routine, like something that you're excited about. Um, and that could be something like listening to a new, a new artist or a new musician um, that could be listening to maybe scores from composers that you maybe normally wouldn't listen to because it's just different 
I mean, sometimes, sometimes the challenge is the motivation. Mm. You know, sometimes like some people will get really motivated by, Hey, I don't, I don't know anything about this, or I don't really know much about postmodern writing or, or whatever genre it is. Maybe that's someone who you kind of go back to and try to find inspiration from. So I think as long as you could keep stuff sort of diversified, I think, you know, that helps with the motivation. If you're doing the same thing, over and over and over and over. And I'm talking about like doing long tones or scales, stuff right. like that. I mean, that's obviously important, but I think, you know, whatever, whatever you could do to keep it interesting, I think is, is good. So for me, it's always been listening to different players and listening to different composers yeah, and, and going through those scores. That's a good way to stay interested. I mean, I'm excited to graduate and not have to do like pieces that I don't want to or have to do the same piece I mean okay so my recital is now in like four days so I'm trying my best to stay calm you know yeah like whatever sounds whatever I sound like right now is what I'm gonna sound like I'm content whatever yes but I had my recital rep since the pandemic like since the beginning of the pandemic so I'm like feeling so fried so once I'm done I'm just gonna be listening to whatever I want, playing yep. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Since you're like a producer with a major label, are there any current worthwhile music industry trends that you've noticed and would suggest we do some research on? I remember when like Billie Eilish first came out with her album, um, kind of that really sort of dark, minimal production. Um, and I don't mean minimal production as far as significance. I just mean like very stripped down like not very heavy with like various instruments and plugins and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah there was kind of a, a phase of that album blew up so much. And I think too, like she, she blew up just like as a, as a personality and as an entertainer. So that, you know, like for, for, for mainstream music, like so much of the impact that it has, you know, it, it does depend on the music to some degree, but it also, a lot of it has to do with who the artist is. You know, and if they're viral on the internet or viral on TikTok or or controversial or not or not controversial, or, um, that tends to also drive the success, you know, of, of their music or or just the mainstream awareness of it. Um, so yeah, I do think like that was kind of a trend. Right now, I would say like hip hop is definitely very popular now, more than what it was like ten years ago. Um, yeah, that's definitely a huge trend. Um, you know, like for example, EDM, like twenty. 2010 to like 2013 it was like boom boom energetic almost until 2015 and now there's kind of less of that it's more mid-tempo you know stuff like that so yeah I feel you that's kind of my yeah that's kind of my take on it right now I feel like maybe you want to perform more than you produce or vice versa oh yeah I mean the grass is always greener right Hmm. I mean for sure like when I was touring with Sublime I mean you know you're literally we were doing about four to five shows a week, um, mm. which isn't terrible because, you know, the, the set time is only 90 minutes, but, you know, I mean, the, the different time zones of traveling, um, also the sh- social aspect too. I mean, you kind of, you know, the meet and greets, you have to be a part of those. You can't, you know, just sit those out because there are people there to, that like the music and they want to, they pay money to be able to speak to the people that make it. So mm-hmm. um, I remember, yeah, like the first month I was just so like, I couldn't get enough of it, um, you know, and the adrenaline rush of playing for 15,000 people and mm. going all over the world was so cool. And then you, you start to get tired and you just kind of want to, 
you miss the solitude of being in a studio and writing. Um, and then, you know, now it's like, got it. Yeah. What was I thinking? Like, get me on the plane. Let's get out of LA and, you know, let's go play for some people. So, you know, but I think if, if like you could find the balance, you know, of still performing maybe locally or writing in the studio or, or mm. stuff like that, that's always cool. I think going like all in into one thing, unless, you know, there's some people that have that personality, like they just want to do that one thing and they could do it, you know, 60, 70 hours a week and they love mm. it. And just never get tired of it. That's cool. But yeah, for me, I, I definitely miss, you know, playing and performing and, um, you know, but that, that has its, potential setbacks too but yeah. yeah the studio life can be exhausting I mean it's I bet. you know you get in your car you drive you show up to the studio you're in this kind of dark room like as you are with your background <laughs> and then you know 12 <laughs> hours later cooking. yeah you're back out do you ever feel okay so I know at least for like women in the industry like do you ever feel like you need to like dress up because like Ariana Grande is coming and you're like why well, I feel like I need to dress up <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> yeah like uh yeah like no definitely because like you want to definitely dress differently depending on who's coming a lot of the the hip-hop artists and rappers like i'm definitely going to dress a little bit more differently than i would at like a scoring right date if i'm conducting like a string <laughs> ensemble yeah I, I, I do take some you know a little bit of thought into to to the way i present myself but i think you know not like i care less but i just you're just like more like, secure like you're like i'm here to slay oh, like you're yeah, looking here yeah, you I'm know? just here to make music. It doesn't matter <laughs> if I have pajamas on or if I have, you know, a, a suit on. Um, yeah. But yeah, I do, I do you know, I, th I think just presentable, not necessarily with the, you know, you don't need to have flashy wardrobe, but I think just, you know, being put together, but whatever that means. I mean, Hollywood is right. so open-minded, like, you know, you, you kind of anything and everything flies nowadays, especially in LA. So, um, <laughs> That's awesome. yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. I mean, you've come a long way. I mean, okay, I don't know. I heard this in the other podcast, but you said you slept in a practice room. <laughs> How did you do that? Was, did they yeah. have AC back then? Or were no. you just like... Oh, my God. Yeah, that was a bad... That was a really <laughs> bad summer. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the end of sophomore year, like, everything went wrong. Like, I, like you know, got dumped by my girlfriend. Mm. Uh, rent was super expensive. Uh, one of my roommates at the time, um, he had to go back or he went back home for the summer. So I couldn't afford the rent. I was too stubborn to move back home. So um, I had a, I had a key to, yeah, I had it. And I didn't, I didn't want to move back home. I mean, right. you know, it was like my two parents, my, my mom and dad and myself living in a tiny two bedroom home. And it just, I just, it wasn't for me. So um, I had a key to B1 because I was in the university saxophone quartet. I just checked it, was able to check it out over the summer. I forget who was working the key window then, but they were really cool about it. And I spent so much time like just practicing in there anyway, that I was like, you know, I could probably make this work for like a month. So I got one of those small box fridges from Target. <laughs> plugged it in. They might still be there. There's honestly so many random fridges like at the conservatory and microwaves. God. So thank you for your investment. I, I feel like I'm condoning. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that and a, and a microwave, and then I would shower at the gym at the pyramid. It was called Frogs. Um, I pulled it off for like a month, which was great. I mean, but you know, the bathrooms were always unlocked back then; mm. like they were never closed. Um, yeah, so I kind of <laughs> flew under the radar. It's like they wanted you to. It's like they gave right. you the green light to do it. 
they set it up and that's why whenever <laughs> they, they call for a master class or a guest lecture i was like oh, i'm not charging anything you guys are <laughs> <Still> paying <laughs> off my rent yeah there you go i'm taking off my rent bill but yeah that, that, i mean it was but you know what I, I do have to say something about that so what came with that is like and i didn't even really intend on it but but like inevitably you kind of forced yourself self or immersed yourself into this like hardcore environment of like mm-hmm. like practicing like really like you're just kind of there and you're like that's it and and i i think the most actually the most growth i made musically was the summer after sophomore year going into junior year i mean like i was practicing all day and just transcribing solos um and just score study score study and that was really i think good you know like to to really there's no distractions, you know, and you're, you're really just put in that environment. I mean, Instagram wasn't even a thing back then. Right. It, right. I mean, it was just, you know, I look at like students now at colleges and like, there's so many other Netflix, like streaming stuff. I mean, I don't think any of those things are bad, but I just feel like there's just all these, you know, online dating. Um, it's like you're surrounded by stimulus, you know, yeah. and just constant, constant things to kind of occupy your mind so i do think you know for you guys being able to sh- to to shut that stuff off and really just give yourself you know peace and quiet and um you know spend time with your instrument or, or with you know a score or something like that i think is super beneficial yeah i know i was reading this study um like performance camps and just like universities, like they consciously have bad practice rooms so that you don't get comfortable and practice more did you know that are you serious yeah like the camp will probably be like super bad because they they're just like meant for you to want to get out of there and just like put in the work wow oh, thank you bob cole yeah yeah thank <laughs> you bob cole no, seriously, that's, that's so crazy that's awesome wow, i didn't know that. that's crazy yeah. when i read that i was like you know what? it makes sense but also i'm i'm hot in here please yeah no that dude, it was hot yeah uh, and I remember like, it was annoying when, you know, people would practice with their doors open because it was just like, you know, you have just a ton of, I was also in B53. You just have like a ton That's of my room right now. It didn't really bother me that much, but now like looking back, it's like, that is so, I'm sorry, so stupid because it's like, how can you really truly just focus on what you're doing? Right? Like close the door. I mean, but <laughs> if you remember it gets hotter than hell in those rooms and they had the little, no, there wasn't a fan. Was there, was there a fan? No, I think they've added AC now, but I think since you've been there, there was like a really bad flood. So it got like a little worse. So is there AC now in the rooms? Yeah, there's like little light switches now that like turn the AC on. So it's not that bad. Yeah, we didn't have the AC. (laughs) I just remember like it was, they get really hot in there. Yeah. Really warm. So what would you recommend to an unsigned artist who is just beginning to build their brand and is looking to gain industry exposure and interest? industry exposure will come from building a strong social media engagement kind of go down the deep dive of social media algorithms and how they how you could now attach an audio asset to to uh, post feed posts on instagram and stories and how tiktok tiktok plays a crucial role in that because for example like mainstream radio was always kind of the only driving force behind really breaking an artist Um, now it's like you know if you have a song or a composition or whatever we want to use, whatever term we want to use to define it. 
that audio, if that audio asset is attached to something that goes viral on TikTok, something goes viral on TikTok, it's pretty much relevant within eight hours around the entire globe. And that's huge. Um, TikTok has more active users. I think seven times the amount of active users than mainstream radio does at any waking moment. So that's just shows you what that, that reach is. So really, I mean, it sounds hokey. I mean, cause I'm, you know, in my thirties and, you know, I think TikTok is so, I have a couple opinions on it. You know, I'm not on it. Um, uh, but, but I do think it is incredibly important for someone who's trying to build and brand themselves as an artist or, or even anyone who's building a business, you know, there, there is a, you know, artists, absolutely. I mean, get on that. Uh, and, and not, not to say like, you need to use TikTok to become a TikToker and, and do that. But, but if you do build a, a huge audience on that platform and you're known as an artist, that just adds a significant amount of more value to your brand, especially if you're trying to get signed because labels now kind of, kind of their algorithmic breakdown of evaluating a, an artist that they potentially want to sign. Like I would say about 50% of that um, is compiled of, of their social media engagement and, and what impact they've had. The other 50% is sort of comprised of, you know, their musical merit, and are they, are they unique enough to where we think they'll have longevity? Like if you have a ton of people trying to get signed to a label and they all kind of are Justin Bieber clones or Olivia Rodrigo clones, like they're not going to sign you because you're just like, she's already there and she already exists. Mm. Um, they are going to sign you if you do already have kind of an established brand and, and you've developed it and grown it and you, you are kind of unique um, and have your, I guess, your, your musical skill set kind of foundation developed and stuff like that but but yeah really like if you have a social media presence and it's strong and there's good engagement like that really really significantly increases your chances of getting signed to a label um and and the cool thing is with social media is like it's free um you know publishing consistently publishing trending content um knowing how to use the hashtags knowing when to post and publish you know is, is definitely advantageous for an artist um in mainstream, you know, covering, covering a song or remixing a very, very popular relevant song is great because the way the algorithm favors that specific song, um, it will then kind of spotlight your profile and maybe you'll get on the explore page or the discover page. It significantly increases um, browser traffic. So if you decide to cover, you know, an Olivia Rodrigo song or a Lady Gaga song or an Ariana Grande song, and that's an incredibly relevant song, by default, you're sort of in this system of like relevancy which will just bring more eyeballs to your platform which just helps you bring your you know build your brand that is a kind of the cliff notes version so what does that say that means that there's another component that that is going to you know drive success of music it's marketing and Mm -hmm. and relevancy and getting eyes on you penetrating that yeah really just got to study the industry yes yeah, it's it is a whole new thing. It's it's definitely not you know, it's definitely like not the Olympics, right? Like the the fastest <laughs> wins the race. The you know, I mean, it's there's a lot of other stuff that goes into it other than just musical merit. So yeah, thank you, Andrew. Well, thank no you so much again for joining in Artist Banter. I'm sure we've all learned a lot and are uh, looking forward to graduating. Congratulations. <laughs> 
And that is all for Artist Banter this week. Don't forget to check out Beach News Weekly for campus news on daily49er.com, as well as other podcast content brought to you by the Daily 49er. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Daily 49er. Thank you and have a great summer.